Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Let's just pretend that I'm a physician, a medical doctor in private practice. You know, it's not uncommon for my patients to have a mental health issue as they present to me their medical problems. In fact, the data tells me that one in six of my patients is likely to have a mental health illness like anxiety or depression. But to be honest, as well-intended as I may be and as caring as I am of my patients, their mental health issues may go unnoticed and maybe even untreated. I know the data also shows me and tells me that about 60% of them didn't get any treatment last year. No medication, no therapy, no support groups. Hey, you know what? I'm double booked and sometimes even triple booked for each hour. And some mental health issues, they're kind of hard to catch, especially with my high-functioning patients. Now, I do catch some mental health issues, but this is not my area of expertise. And to be honest, my typical response is to pull out my prescription pad and maybe prescribe a medication that I'm familiar with. Now, I also do have a mental health colleague that I refer to, but that referral process can be burdensome, onerous, and time-consuming for me and my staff, often requiring multiple calls. And to be honest, in the end, it's up to the patient, my patient, to do the reaching out, to call this doc, schedule an appointment, and follow through on their own after they see me. You know what I would love as a physician? I would love if there was a company who could provide me with some mental health screening tools, who could assist me in assessing my patient's severity of symptoms, and then if necessary, help connect my patient with a mental health practitioner who is equipped to manage my patient's mental health issues, including medication prescriptions if necessary. And it would be nice if they could track my patient's mental health progress because probably I won't be following up on my patient for the next several months. And you know what would make it even sweeter? And now I know I'm swinging for the fence here, but it would be awesome if in the process of collaborating with said company that I could bill and get reimbursed by my patient's insurance company. Well, folks, I am so happy to have the co-founder of just such a company on our show with us today, Dr. Verna Little. In addition to being the co-founder, Verna is the chief clinical officer for Concert Health. She has her doctorate in psychology, a master's in social work, and a master's in business administration and healthcare. She's also a certified care manager and a recognized substance abuse professional. With over 22 years in behavioral health, Verna is a nationally and internationally known speaker for her work in integrating primary care and behavioral health. Verna, I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. It's nice to have you here. You know, this company, your company, so impresses me. You know, it it seems to me that your mission is aiming really to kind of re-architect the nation's behavioral health system with a mission to give every American access to higher quality behavioral health service alongside their trusted primary care provider, aren't they? Yeah, that is exactly our mission to really create the kind of access to high quality, evidence-based, outcome-based behavioral health services that really everyone is entitled to. Yeah. You know, I reference this concept of collaborative care. And I would love to have you describe in a little more detail, maybe even operationalize for us, this evidence-based model that you just referenced for addressing and treating mental health issues within the primary care setting and what it looks like. 
Sure. So collaborative care is an evidence-based model. It's actually been around for a long time, since the late 90s, early 2000s, following a, a research trial at that time. And it sort of morphed. It was impact, and now it's collaborative care. And one of the most exciting things that's happened over the last couple of years is that the model was adopted by CMS and by Medicaid in almost half of the states at this point. And so what collaborative care does is introduce two clinicians to the primary care team, a behavioral health care manager and a psychiatric consultant, and really work hand in hand with that primary care provider. So that primary care provider can say, hey, I work with Graham. He's part of my team. He helps yeah. me care for my patients who are sad, like you talked to me about today. I'd really like for him to give you a call later today. I like it. So basically, the, your your staff gets. We're going to talk about your staff in just a minute. They get to be kind of part of the primary care physicians' additional staff in a way to really help facilitate what the mental health needs are of that practitioner's patients. Absolutely, that's the only way it really works. To say, yeah. you know, we're an extension of your clinical team. We're yes. a part of your primary care team. We document in your electronic health records so you know exactly what's going on with your patients. We work alongside, you know, remotely, but alongside with your nursing team or your administrative team and your billing team. And we really make sure that we're an extension for your practice. If I'm going back to that scenario and that little role play that I was doing, if I'm a physician, there's so many things that I want to make sure that I cover when I see my patient. And I'm looking at primarily it's kind of where I'm trained and then where my expertise is and more kind of the, the more medical side. And I might ask, how are you doing or how are you feeling? But that doesn't always kind of get below the surface to the mental health piece. And as I mentioned before, one in six of my patients, if I'm a physician coming in, is going to have some form of a mental health illness. 60% didn't get treated last year for the illnesses that they may have. And what you're doing to help, and I'd love to expand upon this, help me as a physician identify these things, is you're embedding screenings into existing healthcare. And you're enabling me as a, as a practitioner to improve my patient's access to prompt and effective behavioral health interventions. And I've read that sometimes even patients can get connected with a concert before they even leave the doctor's office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we really work with providers on is screening. So most commonly, providers will screen for depression using the PHQ-9. However, more and more, we're really encouraging providers to screen for anxiety. With all that's going on in the world, we've seen yes. such a huge increase and in prevalence in anxiety. So using tools like the GAD-7 for anxiety so that they can begin to identify patients. But then what oftentimes we hear as well, like, then what? So now I've identified them. I have this, you know, 15 minute visit if I'm lucky, right? On a good exactly. day. Exactly. And so like, then what? Like, how do I have the conversation? What do I do? And so the ability to do that handoff and not even just to do the handoff, but to be able to send to someone to get a full diagnostic you know, what's actually going on with this patient to get feedback and to see it real time in yes. the electronic health record, because we really do same day next day so that you know right away what's happening to your patient and what's being done. You know, I was being a little playful earlier. I, I grew up in a, in a medical setting uh, professionally, and uh, I've got a lot of close friends who are physicians, and I know their heart for patients, but I also know literally sometimes they are triple booked in even a 15 minute block. So they're getting in, getting it done, getting out and getting on with the next person, well intended, but that's kind of the demand, particularly now in medical health care. And some of these 
presenting problems aren't easy to see. As I mentioned, even, you know, particularly with some of the high functioning folks, a lot of folks may not recognize that they even reach the threshold for, hey, this is an anxiety disorder, or you're pretty close to a depression right here. And it's almost like when your staff comes in, it's almost like a you know physician being able to send somebody out for an MRI who specializes in that, you know, mm-hmm. a radiologist who might read something and kind of further diagnose something that then the physician can have as part of their patient care. So I, I think that's 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 wonderful. Yeah, and I think that's where we really come in because you know if you think about the primary care provider. They might have, you know, a gentleman in their office and he's like, you know, I'm not sleeping well and I've kind of having trouble at work. I just don't feel like being there and I've been arguing with my wife. And so somebody to put all those pieces together to say, well, actually, sometimes in men, we do see, you know, that you're feeling a little irritable and this is what it what it looks like. And, and, you know, talk about depression and really try to have conversations with people and go back to the primary care provider with some suggestions, because I think that's the the piece is not yes. only do they know what's happening, but they have suggestions about what to do about it. Yes. And I think that is the part that I hear from providers like, oh my goodness, like for the first time in my career, right. Right. like I go in and I turn on my EMR and there's like, oh, now I know what's going on with this patient. And there's this psychiatric consultant telling me like what to do about it. And so, um, you know, it makes such a huge difference for them. And I love that part of the the work. I like that dimension as well. You're saying it's, it's not just keeping it, the, the, the physician updated, but you guys are also recommend making recommendations. So when the doctor, you know, sees the patient next, there's some prompting there, isn't there? That helps yeah. them, hey, hey, check this out, or maybe kind of follow through in this way. And here's maybe how it could sound or what you might do. Yeah. And it's not just all about medications. Sometimes it's like, hey, run this lab. Or I noticed in the labs that, you know, there was something around the thyroid levels that were a little off or, you know, there's a vitamin D, like it's all kinds of things. And it's just another part of the team giving a perspective and and making some recommendations. And so it's really fun to be able to see. It's also really fun to see the primary care providers get excited about, hey, you know what, I've really seen this medication work. Are there other places I could use it? Or how could I you know, use this medication in, in other places for patients that I'm seeing. And so it's kind of a fun exchange. That is a great exchange. Let's let's talk a little bit about the process and kind of how it unfolds. Someone goes into their physician's office, they're presenting with something. As they maybe fill out the paperwork for that day, they get to take a screening form. The doc goes into the office with a the patient. They get to look at this. Tell us about what the steps are then and talk a little bit about your licensed staff, professionals that you're working with and how then they might engage with the patient and what some care might look like if in fact the patient is qualifying, let's say for an anxiety disorder. How's it go? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we really try to do is, you know, we always talk about the easy button, right? So we want to make sure that we are the easy button for primary care providers. And so to push the easy button to refer, just like they refer for anything else, that they would refer to us right in their EMR. We get it on our side. And then I would say, hey, I see that you were in to see Dr. Smith today and that you were feeling kind of sad. I'm reaching out to them by phone and engaging that person in care. And that the beautiful thing about collaborative care is that there are choices for people in terms of how often we talk to them, what those conversations look like. And so our master's level clinicians actually have those conversations and start that care and treatment. And if someone needs a psychiatric consultation, that can happen within the week because they meet with that psychiatric consultant every single week. That's so good. That's so good. In terms of 
providing the patient with some referrals or mental health practitioners in their area. How does that part go? So there are times when collaborative care, you know, people may need a different evidence-based model. It's not more care or less care. It's just different evidence-based care. So oftentimes, you know, we're seeing a higher prevalence of eating disorders. People may Mm -hmm. need some specialized treatment, alcohol or substance abuse disorders, you know, that people might need some specialized care. And so we will connect them with people in the community, uh, make sure they get there. I always use these very clinical terms, landed in stuck, you know, that they get there, but did they actually stay there? Did they get engaged in care? Sometimes they come back to us and and sometimes they stay, you know, engaged in care. But I'm a true believer that collaborative care, because of the nature of it, that I could talk to you every day or every other day, and that it actually is super high touch. And for a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are at risk for suicide, who are really struggling with alcohol or substance abuse, that actually works way better for them than some other models. And I've had patients say to me, And I wish I I would have recorded a gentleman that said to me one time, it was the first time that someone talked to me about how I was feeling and not just my drinking. Yes. So that collaborative care actually not only reduced his drinking and helped him be basically less sad, but also think about what he wanted to do about his drinking because he was drinking less. He felt a little empowered. He felt better, and then he could sort of go on and and make some other decisions in treatment. So we see a lot of patients like that that really just benefit from that super high touch, really good support, and then may or may not go on to other types of, you know, more specialized treatment. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Behavioral and mental health professionals provide critical support to our communities in a time when our communities need it more than ever. But they need support, too to continue their education, to connect with colleagues, and to advance their career. And so we've launched Triad, the hub for behavioral and mental health professionals. At Triad, you'll find education, community, and career resources for both current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, all curated specifically for you and all for free. Visit us at hellotriad.com bht to register for your free professional account. Again, that's hellotriad.com slash BHT. Come join the community today. I, I really like that idea of kind of fashioning what the patient needs with a model that's best going to fit it. You know, sometimes, and, and, and I mean this in the best possible way, sometimes this prescription is, you know, given and, and made, but the underlying causes of things or the necessary discussions don't happen mm-hmm. or someone's you know, suicidal or talking about these things, you know, we look for hospitalization oftentimes in a psychiatric facility. And that's not oftentimes even the best approach. In fact, that can even make things worse. And you're talking about, yeah. And you're talking about if we can bring the relational piece into it, Uh you know, those touchstone times that can be frequent during the week, that's even a better model, isn't it? It's a way better model. When you think about people at risk for suicide, we know sending them to the emergency room can sometimes make things worse. And if you talk to people, you know, leaders in the field, you know, Dr. McKeon, Dr. Hogan, some of those folks, they will say that getting hospitalized for suicide risk often is the only condition people get hospitalized for where they don't get treatment. And so really thinking about what that looks like, but collaborative care being so high touch, I can check in with you every day and make sure you're safe. Or 
you know, one of my favorite parts of collaborative care is we want to give patients a sense of success. We spend a lot of time telling our patients, you didn't lose weight. You didn't go to the cardiologist. You didn't take your medication. You missed the appointment, right? Like all of us walking into the primary care think, oh, oh, these are all the things that I didn't do, right? Right. And so what we want to do is give someone a quick success because a lot of people just don't get that. And so like, what can you do today or tomorrow to feel less sad and then give you a call and say, I'd love to give you a call tomorrow and see how that went for you. And if you can think about it in your own personal life, that thing that's been hanging over your head that you just haven't been able to do or get to, if you did something today, like it would be like, wow, actually I I feel pretty good about that. And so giving that experience to patients is really incredible. I like the idea of giving them something that's very tangible just for today. Yeah. You know, that 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 long term seems like I got to eat the whole elephant at one time. Yeah. But what no. if I just take one little thing, you know? And what if I just kind of do that, and then tomorrow you're going to connect with me, and you're going to reinforce that, and those things that get reinforced tend to get repeated, and I feel encouraged, and you're kind of seeing me doing some steps, and I feel pretty good about myself. Thinking maybe I can yeah. do another step today. Exactly, and yeah. we celebrate that success. You know, what did it feel like to meet the first goal? What did your room look like when you opened the window? What did you see when you were outside? You know, how did the sunshine feel? Like really celebrating those successes. And you can see someone's affect change. And I've seen this as a clinician over a week or two just with those touch points. And I personally find those touch points to be so much more valuable to people than a lot of times the weekly you know, sort of cadence, the only reason that we really have seen people weekly in 45 minute or hour sessions is because that's how we get paid, mm-hmm. right? Like we've never actually had the, op- there's no evidence to support it. We've never actually had a lot of opportunities, clinicians to say like, by the way, what works for you? Right. You know? right. right. You know what I like about that too, is oftentimes folks that haven't experienced, you know, depression or anxiety, depression, you know, the people begin to kind of li- unknowingly are, are living in a tunnel, you know, yeah. and, and they see things so myopically and life gets kind of, again, narrow, kind of dark, and they don't recognize just how things are just so tinted negatively. And when you begin to ask yeah. questions like this or someone with anxiety, they're, they're just so wound up and that fight or flight's going off. They can't attend to things sometimes that are right in front no. of them. So what you're describing in that relational piece is to get them to stop, maybe open up that aperture, you know, if they're depressed or maybe kind of just stop and breathe and look what's in front of them if they're anxious and be able to see some things that they may not notice normally by your kind of cueing and gentle nudging. Mm -hmm. And that creates some hope. It gives them hope when, you know, hope cures so many things in this world. And also, you know, there's an old adage for depression, like, you know, do less, feel worse, feel worse, do less, and sort of that circle. And, you know, when I used to work in the practices, I used to have those arrows and have that on the floor. And I would literally stand in the middle of that circle with patients and set that small manageable goal and then step out of the circle with them. And so what's nice about collaborative care is you're sort of doing that virtually, right? And it's really a powerful experience. And that's why clinicians, if they truly understand what collaborative care is and meant to do, they love it because they're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. People are getting better. And, And it's really great to see that with patients and have that experience. I, I want to take what we're saying right here and, and noticing what you're doing with the patients that you're seeing and also the progress you're watching, or maybe some of the needs that they continue to show you. But to go back to something you said earlier too, as you're working with these patients, you are submitting these interactions, these findings, recommendations into 
from your monitoring and tracking the patient. You're communicating these things through the EMRs, the electronic medical records mm-hmm. of the patient with the physician so that the, pa- so the physician has this accessible and knowing the progress of their patient. And that really allows them, doesn't it, the physician to effectively and efficiently manage their entire population of patients with behavioral health needs. Yeah. One of the nice things about collaborative care is that it's very tree to target, right? So like for the Mm. very first time, we're actually measuring a behavioral health outcome. We're looking for that 50% reduction in symptoms. We're looking for you to be subclinical. And a lot of primary care providers don't even know that there are depression and anxiety outcomes. But when you have that conversation and they realize it, what's nice about the tools is that we all have a common goal. We all know where we want to get with someone. And then also we're all talking the same language. Cause like when I first started, you know, working in primary care, which, you know, I'm old, it was a bazillion years ago, but like, I would say, no, oh, this person is sad. And it meant something different to everybody on the yes. team. Whereas now, if I say Verna scored a 27 on the PhD, exactly. everybody right. goes, oh, right. right. Like we all know what that means. We all exactly. have a, a standard language. And that's so helpful to yes. really the communication with the primary care providers. And that's how they think your A1C is here. I want it to be exactly. here. Your depression exactly. score is here. I want it to be here. It sort of fits in with how they're used to operating. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point as a reminder. You know, they're used to numbers. They're used to, you know, ranges. And that's what they're trained and what's a, what they're really good at being able to assess things. And rather than provide signs and symptoms and, you know, kind of a descriptive improvement, providing them a number, you know, as a, as a marker, as a measure of someone getting better is a quick reference for them to be able to say, okay, my patient's improving. That's really good. Here's a cool piece. I was kind of being playful in my intro around the role-playing And I was saying, you know, wouldn't it be sweet in this collaborative care process as a medical doc, somehow find a way to get reimbursed for this collaborative component that's in addition to the medical care that I'm providing with my patient. Now, there was in 2018, a Medicare reimbursement code that was recreated Mm -hmm. to help docs get paid for their time spent getting their mental health patients into the right hands for treatment. Talk to us about that and how that works now along with Concert Health's involvement with their patients? Sure. So collaborative care was adopted by CMS. Then in special CPT codes were actually put out since then, you know, Medicaid and more almost half of the states and, and the commercial plans. And if you talk to CMS, they will say it was kind of the gift to primary care because these are primary care codes. They're not behavioral health codes. Okay. And so what happens is that When you make something a primary care code, you get rid of all the stuff that our system has put into behavioral health care, the carve outs, the Mm -hmm. separate co-pays, you know, all of those pieces that have really been barriers. And this now allows for the primary care providers to do the billing. So they are the billers because they're the primary people caring for the patient. And so partnering with an organization like Concert Health they can bring the people on the team that give them the ability to provide the care and treatment yeah, and then allow them to build so they're able to generate revenue for doing this work and for their engagement and, and for essentially really paying attention and caring for their patients' behavioral health needs. And so it's really a nice way to be able to provide care I would say as someone doing integration for so many years, the ability to do this work and have it 
happen right away because the yeah. primary care providers are already credentialed. They're already, you know, so you don't need to do any of that. And if you ever want to put a halt on a project, you know, anything that involves credentialing, you should just take a vacation and come back to the table <laughs> six right. months later, right? That's right. And so this just bypasses all of that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, you guys have thought about so many things and making it kind of really turnkey, you know, yeah. for the physician to come in, for the patient to get the services they need. Talking about okay. the partners you're talking about. So you, you're talking about partnering and and you guys currently partner with medical groups and health systems that employ thousands of primary care and OBGYN physicians. And you're working in about eight states right now. And these partners, wow. 12, congrats. That's wonderful. That was, yeah. forgive me, that's the last I read, 12 now. And these partners range from single site practitioners to very large, some of the actually largest healthcare systems in the country, don't they? Yeah, we really have a span. So we have a single doc pediatric practice in Bronx, New York. Right. Provider who's wonderful that I've known for, for years, all the way up to the Advents, the Mercies, Common yes. Spirit. So it really does play the gamut. It also now, because we serve ages six and up, we have a lot of pediatric only practices across the markets and a lot of women's health, like Women's Health USA and some of the others where we do a lot of, you know, specialized women's health services for those practices. So definitely both have the, the big and small and then the difference in population. We are also very mission-driven around caring for people who need us. And so a lot of our partners are federally qualified health centers, rural health centers. You know, more than half of our population has Medicaid, Medicare. And so really making sure that we're caring for people who need it and partnering with organizations. I love that age span, you know, such a wide range of people being able to benefit yes. from this and a wide range of practitioners seeing that range, that age range of patients being able to have access to what you're doing. I know we're kind of rounding the corner here, but before we talk about some resources and how folks can get in touch with you, talk about your success with this collaborative model in terms of patients seeing reduction in depression and anxiety, how quickly that can happen. Give us some numbers on success. Sure. We've been really thoughtful about how to think about outcomes and, and take into consideration like the ebbs and flows of, of depression, because the premise of collaborative care is that you have to change it up at least twice, right? You have to change treatment, regardless of what it meds or the kind of treatment or the, the cadence. And so sometimes that helps, sometimes not, you know, you need to, to really throw spaghetti at the wall, so to speak, to think about how we're measuring outcomes. So where are you when you started? And then at 90 days, the last survey sort of before that 90 days, where are you? Sure. And then if we keep you past 90 days at 120 days, and then at the end, did you get subclinical? Did you sort of get mm -hmm. below five? So trying to be really thoughtful about how we look at our outcomes. And we run, you know, anywhere from 45 to 50% of our patients sort of hit the benchmarks at any given point, which is, it's always a challenge. That, yeah, but you're doing some great things and what a great way to track it and some nice numbers coming out of this. You know, Verna, I would love as we kind of wind down for today, I would love our listeners to be able to access and learn more about Concert Health. Where can we learn more about you folks and what you're doing? So you can go to our website, you know, concerthealth.io is, is there and certainly a really good place. And on the website, there's tabs that you can pick to get additional information and to reach out to us. I mean, we'd be really glad to have a conversation about collaborative care or about partnership. There's also tabs on there for people who want to join the team. 
because certainly as oh, we goodness. grow and expand, yeah. uh, there's always lots of room for incredibly talented people to to get on the bus. So we'd love to to have all of those conversations. That's a nice thing to hear too. We have a lot of providers coming through Triad looking for some work and and also maybe some just kind of expanding because some of the things they're doing clinically too to include other aspects of behavioral health care. You guys are really redefining primary care to include this full range of patient needs, both behavioral and physical. And it's really clear that you guys are taking the mental health component off the hands of PCPs, making it easier for them. And you're essentially really supporting primary care physicians to truly practice whole person care that we hope they would. And I know that they want to be able to do. So congrats on your success. And it's been great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Really glad to have had the conversation. It's a great conversation. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Vernon and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our podcast today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other podcasts can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.